We're kicking off a new series today that's literally going to take us towards Easter, so eight weeks long, and uh, we're going to be exploring um, a really awesome phrase that we find in the Gospels that Jesus uses several times. It's the phrase, I am, and he describes himself with this phrase. And we get a picture of who he is, who God is, um, who we are, even in the middle of that. And today we're going to kick off this series with a guest. I'm really excited. So our guest has four names. You ready for it? Justin Robert Mabiala Kenzo. Pretty good, eh? I remembered that. I didn't even have to look at my phone. And, uh, but he, he totally goes by Kenzo. I think that's kind of cool. We can call him Kenzo. And I like that. I like when I, when I meet up with Kenzo. I met, him about, I met Kenzo probably a year ago downtown with a few other church leaders. And um, he has such a passion and heart for what God is doing here in our province. He grew up uh, in the Congo. Uh, served uh, God in those uh, places, various churches, uh, both in churches, uh, teaching seminary, also overseeing um, a lot of churches in that area through a group of churches called the Christianary and Missionary Alliance Churches. And um, he, although he did, he did some school, he did seminary in the States in Chicago in the 80s, and then has served in Canada in a variety of places out west, and then recently here. So we're, we're blessed to have him in our province, and uh, I think it's so awesome that we get to hear from Kenzo and kind of hear his voice as God uses him today into our community. So Kenzo, welcome. Why don't we give him a hand? I, see, I feel so privileged to be with you this morning and share in God's Word. And I thank you very much, Pastor Dave, for your introduction. And I don't know how to um, start my sermon, but a uh, few additional things about me. Uh, first, just in case you have not yet noticed, I'm black. And second, I'm short. I've been watching my height and it's working. <laughs> and third, I speak English with a funny accent because I'm a slow learner. But one thing is true, that I love the Lord. And whenever I'm invited to share in God's word, I always pray that God will give me something that has already been helpful for myself. And this morning, to be honest with you, I'm preaching to myself. When I agreed on this date with Pastor Dave, he shared with me the series that would we'll be starting and asked me to introduce the series, little did we know that we'll be going through, as we say, through the fire, through the valley of death, that I needed this message for myself. In October, my aunt and uncle, they were twins, they died within six days of each other. They were buried together. The same, same service. And then on January the 1st, my mom, who came after the twins, passed away. 
And then as we were coming back from the funeral from home, I went to Congo for my mom's funeral. And we were coming back from the funeral that must have been about uh, 15 days after my mom had passed away. We heard another news that my nephew, who was fighting, you know, the eastern side of the Congo is very uh, unstable. And he was in the army and he was killed. And to be honest with you, it's this idea that I am, that has been of great comfort to me. Yeah, to lose a mother at 84 and one who followed Christ her entire life. You may think that it's easy, just celebrate his life. But I'm finding out that it ain't easy. It's not. But when we go back to Jesus himself, during his ministry on earth, he most often kept his true nature, his divine nature secret. And experts call that the messianic secret. However, once in a while, he would say something or do something that would lift the veil on that very secret. And in the book of John, the Gospel of John, we have those seven statements, seven times when Jesus says, I am. He says, I am the bread of life, John chapter 3, verse 35. I am the light of the world, 8, 7. I am the door, 10, 9. I am the good shepherd, 10, 3 to 5. I am the resurrection and the life, 11, 25 to 26. I am the way, the truth, and the life, 14, 6. I am the vine, 15, 5. And each of these statements gives us a glimpse into Jesus' true nature as the Son of God, as God of true gods. Indeed, by using the I am formula, Jesus shows us his own relationship with the God of the Old Testament who introduced himself, who revealed himself as I am who I am. So, it's only fitting that this morning we meditate not only on the seven I am statements in light of God's revelation, but also on the original I am statement that we have in Exodus chapter 3. So I invite you, it's a long text, but I'm taking a chance with my English, when I read a text, it's always a challenge because some words I can't pronounce. My, my, my children make fun of me because for me, I can't make in my pronunciation, I can't make a difference between the paper you write on and the paper that you eat. So for me, it's the same. So my children go, we all say, Dad, it's pepper. Now I don't know which one is paper. 
So I'm going to read anyways. Let's read together Exodus chapter 3 from verse 1 to 15. And I'm reading from the NIV version. Now, Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. And he led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. There the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within a bush. Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. So Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight, why the bush doesn't burn up. When the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, God called him. God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. And Moses said, here I am. Do not come any closer, God said. Take off your sandals, for the place where you are standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. At this, Moses hid his face because he was afraid to look at God. The Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. I have heard them cry out because of the slave drivers, and I, I'm concerned about their suffering. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey, the home of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hamorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. And now the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. So now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites, out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you. And this will be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What is his name? Then what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This 
is my name forever. The name you shall, you shall call me from generation to generation. Amen. Heavenly Father, we have read your word. Now we pray, come, give life to your word. Speak, Father. Your servants are listening. Silence any other voice but yours. Humble your servant so that you and you alone would be seen. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Here, when we read this text, I know that our main concern will come later on. Verse 14, 15. But I believe it is important to read this text in its context. And here we are told that the story is also about Moses. We read from the opening verse. Now Moses was tending the flock of Jethro, his father-in-law, the priest of Midian. So from the get-go, we are told that the narrative continues because it says, now. Well, up to this point, the person of Moses who would dominate the entire narrative in the Old Testament has been only a brief story, a story of someone defeated. In chapter 1, we read how the Israelites, Israelites were oppressed in Egypt. And in chapter 2, we read about Moses' birth in bondage. And also about his rise and his ascension into the royal family where he was raised as the child or the son of Pharaoh's daughter. But still in chapter 3, we see Moses defeated, ending in a flight. So, when we encounter Moses in chapter 3, we have here a Moses who is defeated. A man who is defeated. And not only defeated, a man who has settled into a routine. And the routine here, he's tending, literally here, the small stock of Jethro. Goats, sheep, nothing big. And he has been doing that for years. He has gotten accustomed to this life. And he thought in his mind, this is my destiny. This is the end of my life. I better enjoy it. He's serving his Midianite priest of a father-in-law. And yet, it is to this Moses who is defeated, who has settled into a routine that God chooses to reveal himself. He disturbs the routine. And to be honest with you, this gives me hope. That although 
I may be defeated. Although I may, I may have settled into a routine, more or less comfortable, God is not done with me. And this very morning, he wants to reveal himself to me in a new way. And he wants to reveal himself, himself to you in a new way. Listen to what scripture says. Moses led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to Horeb, the mountain of God. Moses led the flock to the far side of the wilderness and came to, the, to Horeb, the mountain of, of God, period. It may well be that Moses has done this a number of times. But this time is different. We hear the next phrase, there, there, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. Verse 2. Let's pause a moment to make two comments about these two phrases here. First, Moses who has fled Egypt, now takes his flock as he has been doing to the far side of the wilderness. Routine. Yet, without him intending to do so, he finds himself at the dwelling place of God. Horeb, the mountain of God. And this reminds me of someone else years after. And that is Elijah in 1 Kings chapter 19. He too, following Carmel, he is defeated, he is depressed, he gives up, he wants to die. And with the strength given to him by God, he keeps going to the south, away from his mission. And where he finds himself, in Horeb the mountain of God, the dwelling place of God. Oh, brothers and sisters, as scripture says, we can never flee from God. And if you're trying to stay away from God, I want to encourage you. I don't, I don't want to threaten you. I want to encourage you just to tell you, brother, sister, it's useless. The further away you go, the closer you get to God. And there at Horeb, God captures, that's the second point, God captures Moses' attention by showing up in flames of fire from within a bush. God captures Moses' attention. The uniqueness of this manifestation, the signs of God's presence, is that it is no natural event. There is no natural, there is no scientific explanation to what he was saying. Though Moses saw, uh, Moses saw that though the bush was on fire, it did not burn up. 
Oh, brother and sister, I don't know what God is doing to call your attention in your wilderness. But God is. I don't know what God is doing. Many times I don't even know what God is doing to call my attention. So I pray, oh Lord, help me. Help me, Lord, so that I don't miss you signs. Because you're calling my attention. And in the case of Elijah, God also called, uh, called Elijah's attention. And he was very blunt. He called him out when he was hiding in, in that hole, in that cave in Horeb. And God told Elijah point blank, what are you doing here, Elijah? What are you doing here? Oh, many times I find myself in spaces, in places where God does not want me to be. So he comes to me and says, Kenzo, what are you doing here? But because he's nice, he can say, stupid. <laughs> what are you doing here? And because Moses saw this sign, we read in verse 3, so Moses thought. Moses is one who strategizes. Moses thought, I will go over and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And in the King James and other versions, we, 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 we read not just, I will go over, uh, but they translate this, I will turn aside. I will turn aside. So he wants to take a position of safety while, safety for himself, while he wants to investigate the phenomenon. And God rebukes him. Hey, stop it. Stop it. Don't go further. Take off your sandals. Because the place you are standing on is holy ground. Oh, brothers and sisters, many times we want to see holy grounds elsewhere. We want to move where we feel comfortable, but yet God wants us there where we are. No matter how we feel the place is safe or not safe, whether the place is comfortable and not comfortable, but God says where you are is holy grounds. And what makes it holy ground? Because God appears to you right there, here and now. Oh, I remember a pastor, the church I attend, once preached a sermon, the uncomfortable church. The church can be an uncomfortable place, and we want to move aside. We want to move away and find God in other ways. And God says, nope, right there. Take off your sandals, because there you have holy ground. And as Moses takes off his protection from the burning sand of the desert, as Moses finds himself naked before God, God speaks to him. I am 
the God of your father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. I am God. And this God that I am, we come back to this, I am here. This God that, that I am is the same God of your father, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Is the God that gave the promise to your father Abraham, to your father Jacob, or Isaac and Jacob. So the story is not only the story of Moses. It is the story of Israel. It's about Israel. God reveals himself as the God of promise, the God of history. For he's the one who was with Abraham. He's, he's the one who gave the promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. But here in the text, God does not only reveal who he is as God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but God opened his heart. God reveals his heart. And he says in verse 7, I have indeed seen the misery of my people in Egypt. So just as they were mourning, as they were crying, as they were yelling, they thought that God has forgotten them. But God is telling uh, uh, Moses that all along I've been seeing, all along I've been hearing the cry, the crying out of Israel because of the slave drivers. And you know what? All along, I've been concerned about their suffering. So I have not been indifferent. Our God is a God who is with us. He's a God who is not indifferent. He's a God who is sensitive. He's a God who feels. And yet God does not stop only in knowing, sensing, hearing. He's a God who acts. So he says, so I have come to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of the land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. So I have come to rescue them. I don't only know. I don't only feel. I'm not only sensitive, but I am also a God of action. It's time for me to move. And I've come down. I've come down. And this here, it's, it's no brainer to see a metaphor of God coming down to us in Jesus Christ to rescue. As Jesus who was the word, the word who was from the beginning, the word that was with God, became flesh and moved. 
King James, well, NIV says, you know, um, he became flesh and pitched his tent amongst us. He became one like us. He came down. But there is something very interesting here. This very statement is repeated twice, but not with the same actors. And here we see the God of amazing grace, how he associates us as human beings to his action. Verse 9, he says, And now the cry of the Israelites, it's his repeating here, the cry of the Israelites has reached me, and I have seen the way the Egyptians are oppressing them. And he says, So now, in the uh, uh, verse 8, he said, So I have come down. Now in verse 10, he says, so now go. The great commission, the mission work. God wants to rescue this world, but he's telling us, so now go. It's for us to go and bring the message to do what God wants to do. So now go, I am sending you, Missio, to Pharaoh. To bring my people, the Israelite, out of Egypt. Beautiful text. And Moses, to be honest with you, I sympathize with him. He asks the right question. The first question asked, verse 11. He said, who am I? To do what you're asking me to do. Who am I? Who am I? And God who has already engaged Moses in this conversation. Does not even to. Does not even respond to Moses' question. Who are you? No. That's not the question God is interested in, in answering. But he gives him a promise. Verse 12. The promise he gives him, I will be with you. So here, as we can see, it's not about you, Moses, God is saying. It's, a, it's all about me. It doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter who you are in the eyes of others. It doesn't matter who you are in your own eyes. What matters is that I will be with you. It's all about me. Oh, I wish we all could be satisfied with God's presence. That what matters is not who we are in the eyes of society, in the eyes of our relatives, in our own eyes, but what matters is that we are with God. He is with us. And Moses, I believe, from the flow of the narrative, he takes it. He's satisfied that God will be with him. But he has a further question. 
that takes him in a more intimate relationship with God. So he raises the question in verse 13 in a hypothetical way. And he says, suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, the God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, what is his name? Then what shall I tell them? Now, here in the West, it's very difficult to get what is going on here. In a society where I come from, naming is the most important thing that you can, be, can do for your child. Because when you name your child, you're giving your child an identity. And that's why where I come from, it can appear like superstition. But when you are in the forest, you can't call out your child by his name. Because you're giving your child away. Naming. So when Moses asks for the name here, he's asking more than a name because, the, because there is more into a name. He's asking for God's identity, God's essence, God's true being. If they ask me this God who is the God of our father, yes, I take it. God of Abraham, yes, I take it. God of uh, Isaac, yes, I take it. God of, of Jacob, yes, I take it. But if they ask me what is his identity, his true being, what do I tell him? And this reality, the significance of meaning is repeated Throughout scripture, Psalm 9 verse 10 tells us that those who know your name, talking to God, those who know your name, trust in you. Or those who know your name, put their trust in you. Knowing God's name will translate into putting trust in God. And we don't have time to unpack this dense phrase, God's response to uh, Moses. He says, I am who I am. I am who I am. Now, we have to understand here that there are things that are lost in translation. When you read this phrase in Hebrew, it's the verb to be. I am. But in the language that we have here, Hebrew, we don't have tenses like past, present, and future. A verb to express when something is happening uses aspect. Either an action is complete, of course, an action is complete means it's in the past. Or an action is ongoing. Those are only the two aspects. An action that is ongoing can be present because it's not done yet. Or it can be future. And here, God is conjugating the verb to be in that non-accomplished way. So he's saying at the same time, 
present. I am who I am. And at the same time, he's telling him, I will be who I will be, future. And if you combine these, you have, I, I am today what I will be tomorrow, future, same thing. Or I will be tomorrow or in the future who I am today. And if you add to what he said, God of your fathers, which is the past, it becomes more complex. Because he is also saying, I am today who I have been in the past. And I will be in the future who I have been in the past. And I was in the past who I am today and who I will be tomorrow. And before you had start spinning, <laughs> just keep that actually God is offering himself to Moses. It's me. Yesterday, today, and forever. It's me. It's me. He's offering himself by revealing his name. He's offering his identity. This God is the God of the past. This God is the God of the present. This God is the God of the future. He feels time. And God wanted Moses to be satisfied, find joy, find comfort, find courage in his presence. And my prayer for you, brothers and sisters, is that as you meditate on the great I am that we have in the New Testament, that you'll find that behind the great I am, God is offering himself entirely to you and that we would find satisfaction in his presence. Oh, no matter what event we are going through in life, and thank you, uh, worship team, you preach my message even before I did. We sang many songs that are related to this message. And the one that we sang at the end, there is someone else in the fire, and that is true. It has always been the secret of men and women of God throughout history, is that they found the, the, the joy and the satisfaction with God's presence despite the circumstances. When we read the New Testament, the message has not changed. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus is telling his disciples not to leave Jerusalem until they receive the spirit that God has promised. Because it is the spirit that renders God's presence more evident for us and to us. And in Matthew chapter 28, the Great Commission... He makes it clear. He tells them all authority and literally all power in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, I send you, go, make disciples of all nations. But what is this beautiful promise? And surely I am with you. 
always to the end. And God is always with us. And the most important gift that we have from God is that he offers himself to us. Not limited in time. Not limited by circumstances. He is there. I am with you always. The Old Testament is not different. Many of you like me. Psalm 23 is where we started memorizing scripture. But that's the truth of Psalm 23. We read in Psalm 23, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside still water. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yeah, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because for you are with me. You rod and you stuff, they comfort me. Yes, there will be opposition, there will be enemies, but what God is doing, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You organize a party for me. In plain sight of my enemies, you anoint my head and my cup overflows. And look at this assurance on the part of the psalmist. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. So when we read that he is the bread of life, when we read that he is the door, when we read that he is the way, the truth, and the life, when we read that he is the vine, we need to know that that is his goodness because all these I am statements are followed by beautiful promise. Because I am the bread of life, therefore... Because I am the resurrection and the life, therefore, surely goodness and mercy shall follow all those who behold his presence and embrace it. And David has only one wish. Not this David, but the biblical David has only one wish. And he says, I will dwell in the house of the Lord for how long? Forever. How do we conclude this? Brothers and sisters, it is my prayer that no matter what you face in life, it may be you facing a crisis in your relationships. It may be that you're facing a crisis at work. It may be that you're facing all kinds of pressure, death, health, or any other crisis. You maybe even feel defeated this morning. Remember, it's to people like you and me who feel defeated that God reveals himself. And my prayer is that like Moses, God will surprise us in ways that are unexpected 
because God shows us, shows, shows up in our sorrow, in our mourning, in our grief, in our despair, in our depression. God shows up and that he would give us the grace to recognize his presence and hear his promise as he reveals his heart to us and as he reveals his name to us. Know this, all that matters is his presence. And maybe if for you, you are in a right space, God may also appear to you because he wants you to be part of what he's doing. I've heard, I've come down, therefore go. Go bring that message of freedom, of liberation, so that others who are still in bondage may know that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that God is the God of deliverance. That God is the God of blessings. That God is the God of miracles. That God is the God of the unexpected for the glory of his name. Amen. We're going to stand as we close, and um, a couple of things as we just bring ourselves to posture ourselves before the Lord as we, we wrap up our morning. Um, Kenzo, thank you for, for speaking, for sharing, for um, just being used by God to, to expand our, our minds, our hearts, our imagination, and who God is. Isn't it amazing to just stop for a moment this morning and see the bigness, the beauty the glory, the majesty, the presence of God. It's so beautiful. Next few weeks, we're going to jump into hearing Jesus's, Jesus using these words to describe himself. And um, I want you to keep that picture in your mind. When he says those words, I am, when we're going to be exploring them, come back for the next several weeks as we hear Jesus use these words and then tell us a little bit more about who he is in each of these statements. And this is the foundation for that. So Kenzo helped us start that way. Um, but I'm going to invite you to, just to close today, just bringing yourself to God again, like we did in prayer earlier. Maybe now that you've heard this just amazing truth that God is both past and present and future, and he wants, to, he wants to surprise you. He wants to surprise you. So let's just pause as we close today, and let's, just, let's welcome our God this week to surprise us, to surprise us with his presence, with his beauty, with his power, with his truth and his grace and his word. I know many of us need um, to kind of turn like Moses did. Right where you are, right in your workplace or your family or your home or your neighborhood or your crisis, to turn and notice that God is there and wants to surprise you. So let's take a moment and just welcome him. Welcome that. Posture ourselves for that. Yes, Jesus. Yes, God. And in that same place, I could imagine uh, God also encouraging us to go, to go into our workplace, into our family, into our neighborhood, into a crisis, because he's inviting us to partner with him even in those moments. Our Heavenly Father, um, I thank you for this beautiful picture today of who you are. Thank you that you are who you were, 
You are who you will be. Always. Oh God, stretch our, our minds and our hearts and our capacity to know the fullness of that, Lord. Um, and God, do whatever it takes in us this week, regardless of our circumstance, regardless of our setting, to welcome you, to be surprised by your presence, to turn to you, to notice that you are present with us, God. And God, in that same vein, we offer ourselves as we hear the invitation to go because you want to use us in all these settings, in all these places to participate with your work. Oh God, how amazing it would be if we could um, welcome you and be sent by you in the same space. God, we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.